0: I wanna invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, we're gonna be reading from verse 25 to verse 35. But before we get into that this morning, we're beginning a brand new series today called "Sent," where we are looking at the gospel and the the calling that God has placed on all of our lives to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, Last week, as Brother Jordan mentioned, during praise and worship, we celebrated the resurrection. We celebrated Christ's resurrection from the dead. Um, and, and what a life-changing, story-changing um, event that was, where because he rose from the grave, Jesus separated himself from every other religious figure that ever existed who has died and remains dead. He is the only one. In fact, Scripture says he's the first fruits of the living. And the reality is, is that we are who we are today because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross. But can I tell you this, that, that, that while, we are, while we are beneficiaries of, of the event of resurrection, we're not simply called to benefit from the, the impact of resurrection, but we're now charged with this responsibility of proclaiming this story of resurrection and what it represents. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to be dealing with uh, different faces or different aspects of um, what it means to be sent. We're gonna look at today, we're gonna focus on how the gospel impacts us personally. Next week, we're gonna look at how the gospel impacts us corporately. And then the third week, we're gonna look at how the gospel impacts us when it comes to our mission of taking the good news to the ends of the earth. It is important that I state at the outset this morning that we, believers, must never be of a mindset where we see an event like the resurrection and, and in our minds it becomes nothing more than just a date on a calendar. Um, like we do with Christmas or we do with any other special holiday. That we just see it as, a, as an event, we just celebrate because of its significance. Yes, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, I would dare say... We celebrate his resurrection every single day, every single week. It is not meant to be a once a year celebration, even though I know that some churches, you know, many, most churches will go out of their way to do something very special on Easter Sunday. Um, But but one of the things that I felt cautioned about is is this idea of of seeing um, significant moments in, in the story of God's interaction with humanity and seeing them as nothing more than just stories or experiences that we celebrate at certain times of the year. Resurrection should be something we celebrate every single day of our lives. In fact, the story of resurrection should be a story that we are telling every single day. No matter who we are with or, or in what environment that may be, we are meant to be telling the story of the power of resurrection. And so we're going to look, beginning in Luke 24, at the events that preceded the resurrection of Christ. From the perspective of the believers the the disciples those who follow Jesus now remember when Jesus was crucified the day he was crucified to his followers it it seemed like it was the end I mean this is a man that they they embraced a man they believed in a man that I believe it was even Peter that said we left everything to follow you and yet they find themselves staring at a cross and their 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 teacher their rabbi their messiah their savior is hanging on that cross he is dead and you have to wonder what was going through the minds of these disciples as they saw jesus hanging on that cross the 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 concern about what now what next where do we go from here uh what do we do how how do we pick up the pieces of our lives because we, we we staked our future to this man and and now he hangs on this cross, lifeless. And it seemed for all intents and purposes that those who were opposed to Jesus and to what he represented had won. But then comes Sunday morning, the scripture says that Jesus rose from the grave. And even that, the circumstances surrounding his resurrection had to play out in a way for the disciples to fully grasp what this meant. Not just in that moment, but what it would mean for eternity. And so we pick up in the beginning of verse 13, where, and I'm not going to read it, I'm just going to give you a quick summary. We see the, uh, the writer of, of Luke describe a scenario where there were two uh, of Christ's followers. Not sure if they were disciples or they were just men who followed Jesus, who, were, who, who recognized him as, as everything he, repre- he said he was represented. But the scripture tells us that two of his followers were walking to a village called Emmaus was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they're walking, no doubt, they're having a conversation and their conversation is centered on Jesus and what has just happened. And you know, again, this question of where do we go from here? What do we do You know, with the rest of our story now that he's gone, he's no longer in the picture. And the Bible says that out of nowhere, a stranger joins these two men. And as they're walking and as they're talking, this stranger asks these two men, what are you talking about? And these two men do not realize that the person that they're addressing is jesus they've heard that 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 you know the the ladies mary magdalene mary mother of james had and some others had gone to the tomb that morning to 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 do some uh to to prepare the 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 tomb and to bring some spices and whatnot um to the tomb and they found that the tomb was empty and that christ's body was not in the tomb and so of course you know, you would have thought that hearing that his body is not in the tomb, that they would be celebrating that, you know, it means he's no longer dead. But the, but the thing was, even in that moment, they were still confused because in their minds they thought, what is going on? We saw this man die, so it's not a question that did he die or did he not die. He died. We know he died. We saw him be buried. But now we're hearing Sunday morning that he's, his tomb is empty. What's going on? Who is behind this? What could be happening? And yet when this individual approaches them and he asks them the question, this was their response. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these last couple of days? And Jesus asked him, What things? And then he goes on to say, About Jesus of Nazareth, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But here's the, here's the phrase, here's the sentence that I want you to focus on because it speaks to their frame of mind, even though they've been confronted with what was in reality good news, but in that moment left them feeling confused. This is what he says in verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I want you to let that sink in for a second because that statement speaks to disappointment. They were disappointed that Jesus did not live up to what they expected that he was going to be, what he was going to do. And, and even with the news that his tomb was empty, even with the news that these ladies had heard, uh, had, 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 had encountered angels telling them that, that Christ was alive, that he had been risen, they were still they were still confused. They, they, they could not understand what was going on. And it goes on to saying, And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. Again, you would expect that they would be excited that he is not in that tomb. But you get the sense that these men were were still overwhelmed by the sense of disappointment that Jesus did not live up to what they expected of him. And this is what we pick up in verse 25. He said to them, how foolish, this is Jesus speaking to them now in response to what they've just said. How foolish you are. Now you read, you read that word foolish, you think he's insulting them. No, that word foolish is not an insult, more so than, if anything, what Christ was suggesting is that, guys, you are focusing on the wrong thing. Your attention is on the things that are not as important and you're neglecting what is most important. You're acting foolish. In the same way when we correct those who are younger than us or those who are under our care, we, we use the word foolish. We're not simply, we're not trying to insult. We're not trying to make them feel like like they're worth less than they are. What we're suggesting to them is you are making an unwise decision. You have chosen something at the exclusion of that which is even more important and he was saying to them, man, you have... Focused on the wrong thing. That's why he said they were foolish. But then he not only says that they are foolish, but he says, But you are slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, this is Jesus we're talking about here, began to explain to these two men what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was, going, he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And I've always asked myself that question. Why did they ask him to stay with them? I mean, it's it, it seems odd that you would meet a stranger. And you're, you, you're asking the stranger to come stay at your house. Right? But, but we're going to understand why... He, why they made that statement. Because they're going to testify to something that they felt as they were interacting with Jesus. In verse, tw- in verse 30, When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and he began to give it to them. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And this is what they asked each other. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And he opened the scriptures to us. And then they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. What I've learned in this sequence of, of, of events we just read in Scripture is a very, very important point that I think we must emphasize over and over and over again. And it's, the, it's, a, it's a point that shouldn't simply be emphasized on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. Um, it's a point that should be emphasized every single day. Every single day of our lives. Every single day as we walk with the Lord, as we are pursuing relationship with Him, as we are seeking to become more and more like Him. Every single day we must, we, we must understand this, this point and it's simply this, that the effectiveness of yours and my witness for Christ... How effective we are as His witnesses. Remember, He called us to be His witnesses. He said to the disciples, Go into all the world and make disciples. He wasn't just talking to the 12 or the 11, and, and by, by extension, anyone else that was with them. He was talking to all of us. He says to all of us, the great mandate of the church is to go and to make disciples. But notice that, that being an effective witness for Christ is established, first of all, on the basis of a personal daily encounter with the Lord. Your ability, my ability to be an effective witness for Jesus is based on the foundation of my own personal encounter with Him. I cannot offer you what I don't have. I cannot invite you to experience what I don't experience myself. I cannot challenge you, I cannot, I cannot burden you with this, with this opportunity to, to follow Him, to follow the Lord, to surrender your life to the Lord if I'm not doing the same myself. And, and I dare say, believe that, that, that it is easy to spot a person who is simply talking, but you can tell that they're not living what they're saying. If you and I are to be effective witnesses for Christ, it must be built on the foundation of a, of a personal daily encounter with the Lord. And this is what I love about this story, the story of these two men's encounter with Christ. Because their ability to go back to the, to the other disciples and those who are gathered with the disciples to tell them, that Christ indeed is risen is because of what they had just experienced themselves. Remember, they had already heard from the account of the women who had gone to the tomb that we were told by these angels that he is risen. And in spite of that, they still were not, you know, their, their disposition, if you notice when Jesus was encountered, when they had an encounter with Christ was, was, was to suggest that that they, they still didn't know what was going on. There was still that sense of despair, that despondency that, that they must have felt when Christ was, was crucified. They just weren't sure what to do with what they had heard. But in order for them to become a witness of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, they themselves had to have an encounter with the Lord. I do not believe it was an accident that Jesus encountered those two men on the, on the way. I don't believe that it, just, it, was, it was coincidence. I don't believe that it was circumstance that perhaps Christ was walking along the road himself and he just happened to see two individuals and decided he's just gonna engage them in conversation. I truly believe that it was for our benefit as it was for theirs, those two men specifically, that, that when we look at our opportunity or the invitation that God gives us to testify to a watching world about the reality of our risen Savior, that what they need, first of all, is to see that that, that, that witness has impacted my own life first if 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 I'm not living that 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 sense of an awareness of my salvation and the fact that that knowing Christ has changed my life and it has transformed my life then then it doesn't matter how eloquent I am or I, I, I profess to the world that to know Christ it will fall flat it requires a personal encounter And there's three things that I believe this morning that that are necessary for us to experience that daily personal encounter with the Lord. And these three things I take out of this exchange, this interaction that Christ had with with these two men. And the first thing I want to challenge you with is this. If you and I are to build an effective witness for Christ on the foundation of a personal daily um, um, encounter with Him, then we must learn to discern and to discard any beliefs about Christ that the Bible does not support. Hear me this morning, any beliefs about Jesus that is not supported by the scriptures, we must learn to discern and to discard them. Notice what Christ said to these two men. They said to him, we are disappointed. I'm using, I'm, 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 I'm again just, you know, adding to what they said because I, this is what I, I believe they, they were feeling. We are disappointed that Christ did not live up to what we expected of him. We thought he was going to come and liberate us from the Romans. And Jesus called them out on that and he said, Listen guys, you focused on the wrong thing about what the Messiah came to do. You thought that the Messiah's responsibility was to come and to liberate you physically. But when you look at the scriptures, when you look at the prophets and what they wrote in, 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 in speaking about the Messiah, what you discover is that, is that the Messiah didn't come to liberate physically. He came to save the soul. And so you're focusing on, your focus on the wrong thing. I, I've mentioned this before and I'll say it again. It is important, friends, that we are not basing our theology off of what, is, off, off of what we're reading on social media. Now, I'm not saying, suggesting to you that everything you see on social media is wrong. But you better make sure that whatever worldview, whatever mindset, whatever, whatever um, attitude or approach to life you're taking, that may seem right on the surface, you better make sure it is biblical. Because your first responsibility, my first responsibility as followers of Christ, is to live by His Word. It is not that we, we, we embrace philosophies or ideas that sound good or sound right, and then we find a way to justify that using Scripture. No, the Scripture must be the foundation of our beliefs. So that everything, anything that we hear from the world, we must make sure that we filter that through the Word. And if it does not align with the Word, friends, we must discard it. It has no room, no place in our lives. And this is why I say to you that it is important that we are careful about what we are hearing and what we, the, 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 the input we are receiving. Because again, if it is not in alignment with what the Word of God teaches, then it is not speaking the truth about who Christ is. When Jesus confronted that misinterpretation of what the Messiah came to do, he did so lovingly. He did so in a way that was meant to correct. He wasn't, he wasn't putting them down. He wasn't making them feel belittled. But what he was saying to them is, guys, you're focusing on the wrong thing. The Messiah came to do a greater work than you can even imagine. And allow that to begin to change how you view the mission of the Messiah. That he didn't just simply come to liberate people from an ungodly oppressor, but he came to liberate humanity from sin. This is the witness that you and I are called to profess to the world that when Christ came, he came to save sinners. That he came to save us from, from the penalty of sin. That's what the world needs to hear. The world doesn't need to hear that he came to—he came to, to to help us be able to be a be, better versions of ourselves, or to—or to—or to do, or to make better. No, he came to literally save us from the—the the control, the power, and the consequence of sin. And—and—and and, and, and that by our own personal experience, we can testify that that's what he did. He has done. Again, not to suggest that we're perfect or that we don't have any issues or struggles. We don't get tempted, no. But to suggest that. That when we give, give our, when we give our lives to the Lord, it's so that He might change us. He might become that Savior that He the Scriptures declare Him to be. The second thing, if we are to build a foundation of an effective witness based on a personal daily encounter with the Lord is this, that we must allow God's will rather than what we want to inform our longing for Jesus. Our longing for Christ should be informed, should be motivated, should be influenced by what God wants, not what I want. It is what God wants, not what I want. Again, notice what these men said. We were hoping he would do da-da-da-da-da. That, 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 that. What they were basically saying was that we were expecting him to come and take care of us. This is what we consider to be priority. This is what we consider to be our greatest need. We need to be liberated from the Romans. And that's what we expected the Messiah to do. And because, quote-unquote, Christ did not fulfill that in their minds, He did not live up to everything that they expected him to. But the reality was, Jesus didn't come to do what people wanted. He came to do what God wanted. He came to do the Father's will. How many times do we remember him referenced over and over, I have come to do the Father's will. As many times as people would try to get him to to do things their way or to kind of follow what they expected him to do, he always reminded them that I am here to do the Father's will. And in the same way as Jesus was motivated by a desire to do the Father's will, that should be our motivation as well. The foundation of a relationship with Jesus, friends, is knowing that I entered into this relationship not so that God does whatever whatever I need him to do, but that, that God helps me to become everything he wants me to become. It is about conforming to his will and not him conforming to my wants. Too often, Christianity is, is looked at as this, as a word, this crystal uh, this this um, this uh you know uh, uh, crystal ball that we look into or or this or this this magic magic bottle that we rub whenever we want something from god we, we want god to to fix this for us and so we rub that bottle and god just goes and does what we need him and we find us in another situation we need god to do this and we rub that bottle and god comes and takes care of that need there's this perception that many have that god exists to simplicate it to us. That when I become a Christian, it's about, oh, it means that God's gonna take care of everything and I don't have to struggle with anything and God's just gonna fix everything. And that's not what it's about. Christ didn't come so that so that you and I can 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 have someone that we can dump all our problems on and let him just fix it, and so we can enjoy our life the way we think we should enjoy it. No, God's desire is that you and I conform to the image of His Son Jesus, that we become more and more like Him. Jesus came to pay for our sins, so that you and I can be able to have a relationship with God, so that we can become like Him, we can conform to His image, and so everything that motivates our longing for Him, our pursuit of Him, has to be about what He wants to do in us and not what we want Him to do for us. And we have to pay attention to that. Because there are too many who believe that Christianity is about getting God to suddenly now become your, your personal butler. And that's, that's never what God's desire was to begin with. He came to liberate, not to implicate it to our wants or needs. And here's the last point. And this speaks to the, the personal testimony of these two men, shared after Jesus disappeared. Notice again, the scripture says, as they were sitting with Jesus as he broke bread, their eyes were open. they recognized who he was. We don't know how long, how much time had transpired from the time they first met him on the road to that moment when he disappeared before their eyes. But we can only imagine that it was, a, it was quite a bit of time. But the scripture tells us that as soon as he disappeared, these two men looked at each other and said to themselves, "Were not our hearts burning as he talked with us on the road?" So, so, so there was a feeling that they were getting that didn't just happen in that moment. It was already happening the moment they were in his presence. And who knows? Maybe as he was explaining scriptures, there, they, they were. It, it was resonating with them. They were agreeing with it. It was like, "Yeah, you make a good point. Yeah, we we understand what you're saying." And and, and, and it, it never clicked in their minds that, that this person you're sitting next to is the, is the one who has fulfilled these scriptures before your hearing, before your eyes. But when Jesus disappeared and they recognized, they said to each other, We're not our hearts burning as he, as he explained the scriptures to us on the road. You know, as I was thinking about that, exchange, I thought to myself, How similar is that to the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives today? And when I'm reading the scriptures that I come to an understanding or an awareness of what God is asking me to do or how God is asking me to live and it's not because I just came to that awareness on my own that is the Holy Spirit that helps me to understand this is what God is saying to you this is what God is inviting you to do this is what God is inviting you to to embrace to pursue and so so this is the last one I want to share with you before we close that, that, that when we talk about building on a foundation of a personal daily encounter with Christ that we realize friends that we must in this journey rely on the Holy Spirit to affirm the truthfulness of the scriptures Jesus told the disciples in John 17 that when the Holy Spirit comes He, he didn't say He's going to come and He's going to tell you something other than what I've taught you He's going to share with you something that you, you were not aware of before He said He will come and He will remind you of the things that I've taught you what is, what is the implication of that? that? That the Holy Spirit's responsibility is to come and to provide understanding and illumination and to affirm that, that the truth that you and I have encountered in His Word, it is true. That it is, it is living, that we can trust God, that when God says this, about himself, or or what he says about us, or what he wants to do in our lives, that it is true that we can believe, it, we can bank on it, we can stick our lives to it, that we don't have to worry or be concerned about whether or not that that following God's will or following God's direction will will bring us to a a, 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 a positive end. That we can trust God. That every time we read the scriptures that God will open our eyes to, to understand that, that this is living. This is why I love the Bible so much, friends, because it, to me it is, it is so different from any other book you and I can ever pick up. There's a reason why this Bible, it, it, the scripture says the, the word is, is living, it is powerful. You have to experience it to, to understand what I'm saying to you. We, we must learn to, to understand that, that the scriptures are the, are the foundation on which... Who we are, how we think, how we live is being established, it is being shaped, it is being defined. The Holy Spirit must be a part of that journey. And, 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 and it is the Holy Spirit's responsibility to affirm that the truth, that the words we're reading are truth. Oh, that, that every single time you and I read the Bible, that we would have that same experience that these two men had. That, our, that, we, 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 that there's a burning within us not a, not, not a negative burn but, but almost a, 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 an, a, an excitement that builds up within God thank you for your word thank you, thank you for the revelation your Holy Spirit is bringing to me in this moment as I read your word thank you for speaking direction to my life thank you for pointing the way that I should go thank you for, giving me, for, for showing me how sufficient your grace is in my life and how I can walk in your will and be confident that God you will back up your word in my life That's the experience that God desires for you and I to have. And like I said, it's not meant to be a one-day experience. It's meant to be an everyday experience. And it's an invitation that God makes available to every single one of us. Are you willing, on the Sunday after the, the Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of our city from the dead, willing to say, able to say, God, my ability to be an effective witness for Christ, to testify to a watching world that Jesus is who he says he is, everything he says he is, that it is predicated on my personal experience, my personal encounter with Christ, that I know, I know, I know he is, everything he says he is because he has changed me. He is changing me. He's helped me to become, become who he wants me to be. It's not, again, about what I get from him, but it's about what he is doing in me and the transformation he's bringing about in my life. This is the invitation I, 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 I encourage you to embrace, to say, God, help me to be an effective witness for you. I have neighbors, I have friends, I have co-workers, I have, I have, I have family members who, who do not know Christ, but, but they need to know Jesus. They need to know the power of, of resurrection, the good news of resurrection. God, help me to be an effective witness in sharing that story with them. Because believe you me, if that's your commitment, God God is ready to work with you. And He's ready to work through you. But all along, He's waiting for us to simply say, Father, use me, use me. And so I want to invite every head bowed this morning, every eyes closed. The invitation to us is very simple. Will you say today, Pastor John, I am grateful for resurrection, I'm grateful for the joy of salvation but I also recognize that it comes with a great responsibility a responsibility to be an effective witness for Christ to testify to the reality of who Jesus is and and what he came to do and what he has accomplished through his death and resurrection and that I'm willing to yield my life as a vessel that God can use to him Allow him to use my life to tell His story today. Not just today, but every single day. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for the testimony of these two men. It wasn't hearsay. It wasn't simply the perspective of others. But God, it was a personal encounter with you. That was the fuel that drove the witness for you. They could stand before brothers and sisters and say, we know he is risen because we have experienced him for ourselves. And we are experiencing him every single day. God, may that be our story. May that be our testimony, God, that that every single day of our own lives, Father, that God, we are able to say with our lips and with our lives, we know Jesus. We've, We've encountered Jesus. He has changed our lives. He has changed our world. And that we want our watching word to know that he is everything he says he is. So that others too can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. God, I pray that you will help us, Lord, to, to recognize the resurrection must first have a personal impact. And that God, every one of us here today, God, desire that personal impact. We want to experience you every single day. God, we want to be mindful of you. We want to be conscious of you. That every time we read your word, God, that you you bring understanding, you bring revelation to our hearts. Our, our spirit bears witness with what we have read. That indeed we are we 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 we've taken in truth, living truth. And that God would be excited, Lord, to share that truth with others. That God, we never allow the world or what the world says to define how we see Christ that it is the word that shapes our view of Jesus and that God we are committed to living for him help us Lord to make this commitment every single day every single day to follow you to follow you that even as Paul says to present ourselves to you as a living sacrifice help this to be our commitment every single single day To be a living sacrifice to be daily yielded daily submitted daily surrendered to you god have your way in us lord and god if there's anyone that is here today who does not have a personal relationship with jesus christ maybe for them father relationship with christ has been more so what they've heard others talk about but yet they themselves are here to experience what it means to to know you to experience the power of resurrection The joy of salvation. God, I believe that you've been speaking, you've been ministering to several here in this place, Father, inviting them, Lord, to just surrender, to stop fighting, to stop resisting, to stop questioning. To stop trying to trying to figure it out before they make a decision, but to just simply surrender by faith, trust that God, you are you are truthful, God. That when you speak, Father God, that Lord, they can, they can hold on to your promise and know that you that and be confident that God, you will not lead them astray. That God, they will make that commitment today to say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. God, I'm believing, Lord, that for whomever that may be today, that God, you would meet them in the place upon their need, God. You would bring, you, you would forgive as you promised in your word. You would, you, would, you would save as you promised in your word. You would make us your sons and daughters as you promised in your word. You would change our lives again as you promised in your word. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, I just want to invite you, if you're here this morning, say, Pastor John, please pray with me. I want to accept Jesus Christ today as my Savior and Lord. Just raise your hand. I'm looking around. Just looking around. Anybody here? Or you want to rededicate your heart to the Lord? You feel like you know what, Pastor John? I've walked from the, I've from the Lord, but I I, I, be, I believe that I, I need to return back to me. He needs to be my first love once again. Just looking around, just anybody here? Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray together this morning, and I want to invite everyone to pray this prayer with me to encourage those who are making a commitment of, of faith in Jesus. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now, and I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, and that it is my sin that put Jesus on the cross and that in dying for my sins he paid a debt I could not pay that by his perfect sacrifice God's righteous requirement has been fully satisfied and I so I come to you today knowing that Jesus is the way he is the truth he is the life and that no one comes to the Father except we come through Him. And I choose today to come through Jesus. I surrender my life to You today, Lord. I invite You to come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Master. Live in me by Your Holy Spirit. And live through me. And help me to live for You. Change my life. Help me to serve You. To follow You. To become like You. And God, thank you that through my story, others will hear your story and come to know you as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.